Welcome to Do It For The Gram, an Enneagram podcast with your host, certified Enneagram coach, Milton Stewart, where we do it for the Enneagram, not Instagram. We make moves to improve our lives and those in our community. So this is part two of the questions episode. I did not know one question was going to take me the whole episode, but yeah, that's what happens sometimes when you get in the zone. All right, so let's go intro music. Finding help for your mental and emotional struggles can be challenging. With so many barriers like cost and even feeling safe looking for a counselor can be tricky. So I know it's hard. And you know, the worst part is you really don't have the time or mental space to be trying to figure out how to find a counselor when you're having personal struggles. So thanks to BetterHelp, they are built on making counseling accessible, affordable, convenient, so that anyone who's having struggles in their life can actually get the help they need at any time and anywhere, which is so important, especially now. All the professionals are licensed, trained, experienced, and accredited. And what I love so much about them is that they have a diverse group of counselors with a broad and various amounts of different backgrounds to help all their different clients. If you need some help, try BetterHelp. You can get a 10% off discount from your first month when you go to betterhelp.com forward slash do it. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com forward slash D-O-I-T. All right. So once again, these questions are from Laura, Bridget VK, Insta, Sophie, and Paige. So one question here is what is the inner critic? So the inner critic There's a lot of definitions for it. You talk about psychology and different things, and this is in the realm of it. But in the Enneagram world, when we're speaking about the inner critic, usually we're talking about the type one, but everyone has an inner critic. And the inner critic is usually not necessarily a voice, but it's more of a thought, a thought pattern, a strong, very strong thought that usually is criticizing something. It has a way that is very, I would say, sharp and seeing things. It is usually quite judgmental, I would say, the inner critic about ourselves or others or situations. And it's it's just a really, really strong thought. And it's not like you necessarily conjured up the thought yourself, but it just happens inside. And so recognizing it really helps any type, but especially type ones. So it's really like an extremely strong thought that can come off as very judgmental inside inside of oneself. And so that's usually uh, the inner critic, how I've heard it from other people and also how I experience it myself. It's just, it's a, and it makes, it makes me a little bit tighter, I would say, inside internally uh, when that thought is about something. So my face may even do something when I'm having like inner critic dialogue and thoughts, or my, my face and everything. So that is more aligned with what I usually experience as the inner critic. Uh, Next question is, how can head and heart types navigate emotions? This is a really good question because I know relationships are tricky with people, yo. Like people you love, it's like, wow. And then what's tricky is when you can see the person in their pattern 
And it's like, I want to help you get out your pattern, but it's not your job to fix that. You know, it's, it's like your job to work on yourself. So <laughs> it becomes a little bit difficult and tricky in that one. So one very practical way to navigate emotions with head and heart types is one, make sure you're both working on yourselves, first and foremost, because even though you're a heart type, that doesn't mean you don't have a lot of work to do around emotions. But one thing you can do for head and heart types more specifically is literally create time, create and craft time specifically to talking about the emotions or what's going on in the heart. And so what it does, this type of situation helps head types prepare themselves to a certain extent for what's going to come. And they all know it also has an end time. So you can make it, for instance, you may say, let's have a 20 minute conversation or you can start off with 10 depends on the <laughs> depends on the head type say can we have a 10 minute session on kind of what's going on at the heart level and you literally you can make it a ceremony where you have a threshold where you enter into it and a threshold where you enter out of it that could be like you know hitting a tibetan bowl it can be doing something really fun it can be having a certain word there's all these different things that you can do, but it's just to signify and let you both know, okay, this is a moment I want to be able to communicate what's on my heart because it is way different from actually what's on your brain and what's on your head and your mind, I promise you. It is quite different to communicate from that space. And what this does, besides allowing head types to be able to navigate them and prepare for them, it allows head types to really check in with them because that's the difference. When you are not as in tune with your emotions and your heart. And by heart, I mean your wants, desires, things, you know what I'm saying? Those type of things, not just emotions. But when you're not that in tune with those, it can be hard to speak from the heart. And it could be a scary place for a head type to speak from the heart as well, uh, especially fives and sixes, but also, I mean, fives and sevens, but also sixes as well to a certain extent. So that's the one thing, too. You have to give them a moment to prepare themselves to get into that, right? Because their body sometimes has a reaction to talking or dealing with emotions. Like, oh, what are we doing here? What's this emotional gushy thing happening here, right? So being able to do that could be a beneficial way of actually helping to, as Bridget VK put, navigate emotions and kind of deal with them. So just creating time and a threshold, try that. And I say, I would say 10 minutes maybe to start with, and it may go over 10 minutes, but um, being able to make sure you give a, a start time and an end time will just allow people to feel a little bit more safer in that conversation. And then asking for permission from head types if they're there, if they're at that point where it's like, hey, I just want to check in with the heart, what's going on there. You know, can I ask you about some, some things that are going on at your heart level, the emotions right now? If not, that's fine, but I would love to know. So doing something like that could actually help too and just give them the space, you know, or Allow them to help plan a time. Like, when can we talk about this in the, you know, today or tomorrow or this weekend? So something like that could be beneficial in actually helping to navigate head and heart types when it comes to emotions and the relationship. And there's more to that. And I think I'm going to do some ser a series on some of that because I keep getting some more questions about that. So I'll look into that. But give that a try and let me know if that does work because it's just a practical way of getting into it. Uh, next question. How would I like to see the Enneagram community change and grow? Ooh, this is such an interesting question. I think there's a lot of things. I love how the Enneagram is being spread amongst a whole lot of different people. But I just, I would love for the integrity of the Enneagram to, to stay intact, as in 
making sure people understand that it is the work that we do within ourselves, which is going to actually help us to be way better for ourselves in the world. Because I think we may get stuck on the number or the name or the of the Enneagram type and not really the work that we really have to do. Because it's, it's definitely real work and it shows up every single day. And something else I would like to, I guess, see change and grow is just more people work on their instincts before they start working necessarily on their, on their Enneagram type as well. Because the instincts, they're running our world. They're running us and we don't realize them. They're intertwined with our Enneagram type, as we know, which that gives us the subtypes. But the instincts are so strong in the things that we do, and they're causing some of the major problems that we have, and we're not addressing them uh, as we should. So I would say just a, a more thorough and a better teaching, more widespread teaching of how to work and deal with instincts, because that's a big part of what we're doing. So understanding our bodies, our sensations is huge. Embodying the Enneagram, embodying different types. Those things are what I would like to other people understand too, because we understand it a lot of times or it's taught a lot of times from the head. Um, just understanding it in my brain, like, oh, I understand this type because I have read these characteristics. No, it's so much more than that. It's in the body which these types live so rich and so deeply, not just in our minds, but deep in our bodies. So that's something I would love to see the community grow and understand a little bit more. It's just embodying the types as well. And so next question, what trends are concerning me as a teacher? Ooh, um, so I used to, I'm not really concerned. I don't have enough energy to be concerned with some of this stuff, but I am a little concerned just about the amount of people, and I think this is an IA board thing too, just the amount of people who may go online in certain programs and just get a certification really quickly and then go out there and they're like, hey, I'm doing this and I, and I got an IG page and I have a website now and I'm ready without actually doing their own work because that's the trickiest part for me. It's not just a certain program that they went to or whatever. Uh, that's a whole different you know thing or whatever. I'm not even going to get on that, but it's really, are you doing your work? Have you done your work? Which is very important. Not just do you know the types and have a bunch of little tools and words to give people, but are you really doing your work? Because if you becoming a coach and not really doing your work or a teacher and not really doing your work, you're not going to really be able to be that effective for people, like really move people, really transform people on a level that really shifts, I mean, like, transforms. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about life transformation. I'm not talking about, oh, I improved a little bit. No, 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 no. I'm talking about that whole life transformation paradigm shift. The world looks different. You operate all that differently. That's the type of shift I'm talking about. That's the type of work I'm talking about when we talk about the Enneagram. So I would say that's the one thing that concerns me is, you know, you have people, a few, maybe a few teachers and different things out there that, may come out and they're excited. Don't get me wrong, but they're not doing the work. They're not doing their own work. Let me say that. And to me, that's scary because that can mislead people. And that leads to a whole lot of miseducation and trying to educate people and, and frustrated people. And then people get lost in their egos with it. So we just, that's one thing that concerns me, but we're humans. And so that's bound to happen to a certain degree. All right. Next question. Oh, this question was about navigating when someone has mistyped themselves or you feel that they have mistyped themselves. So it says, I also always love to hear what people who are working with the Enneagram at the pro level have to say about how to navigate others typing slash mistyping you 
and or situations where you get a strong feeling that someone you're interacting with may be mistyped. I feel like it's a complex scenario with many context-dependent factors, but it's a situation we're all bound to run into in the Enneagram circles. And I would love to hear you unpack your approach, how you handle it. This is really good. So back in the day, there was a time I would be very frustrated by people who were, I felt like they were mistyped. Very frustrated by it personally because it was this weird space where it's like, like I'm not supposed to tell you that I think you're the wrong type because that would quote unquote be wrong. So how do I approach this situation? So for my own personal situation, I was in a conference. It was a group of sevens. And it was this one lady who she kept saying examples of stuff after we would talk about questions. She was like, yeah, and that's what us sevens do, don't we? And we all kept looking at her like, mm, I don't know. I, you know, and so it was really bothering, like, it was really bothering me at the time because I was like, you're not a seven lady. I know this to be a fact, you're not a seven. And uh, I was, I was struggling so hard because I just wanted to go ahead and tell her, but the way I wanted to tell her was blunt. And, you know, I didn't want to trigger her defenses because clearly that doesn't go well. And so I went up to um, one of my Really good, I would say, really good teachers and mentors. Catherine, she was with Jerry Wagner. I was at an event, and I asked her about, I said, how do I navigate this situation? <laughs> Literally the question you're asking. And I said, I just want to say, I'm pretty sure you're not a seven. That's not things we do. That's not how we say. You don't, like, your patterns aren't anything like us, necessarily. Uh, and so it's like you're trying. You know, you're trying to be a seven. I was like, but you're not. And so um, she said, how about you say something like, have you considered this number or have you thought about this? You know, what do you think about this number? Or there's just a way, I, a nice question to be able to communicate. Maybe there's more there. And so that's what I did. You know, I said, have you considered you may be this number, you know, or what do you think about this number? You know, and we kind of talked about it some. And I really because I believe she was a six. And she says, I don't know. I'll have to go home and ask my husband. We'll check on it. And I was like, yeah, that's probably a six pattern right there. You're going to ask someone else to help you, you know what I'm saying, like who you're close to, to be like, let me ask about. So that was a super interesting thing that happened. But I've seen that. And so navigating it one way is asking a question. Have you considered this type or why don't you think you're this type? Because I've had this before, even in coaching sessions and stuff where I said, have you looked at this type? Uh, or, you know, if I'm close enough, what makes you know that you're not this type and have them kind of think about it. And then we kind of explore that a little bit, because sometimes it's simply the way that a person was taught a type. Right. Or what they read that confused them. That it's like, oh, yeah, you know, and somebody used a wrong description or something. I've seen quite a bit of it, but those things make sense. And so that is one thing that can help questions. I usually use questions. And then there's a certain degree of where people are saying, you know, just let them go on their own journey so they can do their thing. And I understand that, but I don't completely resonate with that, in my opinion, in my personal view, because understanding how valuable the Enneagram is, especially when you find your type, I mean, like you land in your type, you like, ooh, the amount of work and growth you're able to do is unlimited. And so, like, 
I would say the, the the better someone or the quicker someone's able to get there, I would say the more work or connection to the deeper parts of them they're able to do. Um, so I think it's I think it's very important for people to understand their type and hopefully, you know, if they're mistyped, be able to hopefully kind of kind of ask them some questions to really just make them really think about like maybe I don't know maybe this is right and or. Maybe someone thinks that someone else is another type or you're another type. And this can be a pro or a con. It depends on the growth work that you've done inside, you know, because people have thought I was a f- I've had I've had quite a few numbers. Actually, people thought I, I was and not a seven from nine to five to three to uh, what's another number? Some yeah, six before. Let me see. Even eight. Yeah. I don't think anybody's ever mistaken me for a four, though. So maybe I, I got work to do in that area. But so those are some of the things that happens as you do grow and develop, depending on your experience. Like you said in your question, context dependent. There is sometimes where we do not look externally like the similarities or the characteristics of the type structure. And that's OK. That's actually a good thing. And so we just have to be very aware of how that impacts us and other people. So we don't get hung up on it too much because we do want to catch the essence of the person. Knowing the type helps so much, but uh, we have to be able to move from that and just really try to listen to what the persons really want to convey, what they're really trying to say, not just by words, but their deeds and their hearts and even their vo- their tone and everything that's coming across to pick those things up. So I would say the best way is just really good questions about it because It can be tricky, and this is the problem that we do have. So the Enneagram uh, types are gifts that we have, but the issue is we make them identities. And so if someone has, like, made their identity a certain number, and then all of a sudden you're like, that's not your number, and and you come at it in a way that's maybe aggressive or offensive or harmful— you could really possibly damage a person unintentionally because their identity is now is warped into a type structure when it shouldn't be. It's a part of you, but it's not you. So just being very careful with that, but using questions to get in there to really be helpful is a way that I deal with it. And then sometimes um, before I do that, I kind of gauge where they are, like in their work and what they're doing. Because there's some people who aren't ready to have those questions to actually think deeper about themselves. And there's some people who are really ready. They're just not sure because maybe their understanding of the certain type isn't um, rich enough for them to be like, oh, okay, yeah, this is more aligned with me. So I I gauge that too just by like how I talk with them, my, my observing of them, all these things. So those kind of things come into play for sure. So... That's just kind of, I guess, how I deal with it <laughs> as an Enneagram teacher. So, oh, yeah. And I, I did want to give this example. Uh, when I first started, though, too, me and Zara, who's been on the podcast a couple of times, we would be at a conference together sitting across from each other or even beside each other. And somebody would be mistyped and we'd have our fingers up looking at each other like, mm-hmm, nope, not nah, this type. You think that two? No, nah, that one. That three? No, no, no. So we would be doing our fingers like (laughs) on the low so the person could see whoever was talking or whatever. And we'd be like, nah, that's this type. So that was actually super fun. We used to do that when a person we felt was mistyped on it. But obviously a pandemic, but we don't really mean anymore. So we don't really do that. But that was something that was actually really fun that we would do. It's like, ah, that person's not that type. We'd be like this number. So, yeah, I just wanted to share the example. Finding help for your mental and emotional struggles can be challenging. 
with so many barriers like cost and even feeling safe looking for a counselor can be tricky. So I know it's hard. And you know, the worst part is you really don't have the time or mental space to be trying to figure out how to find a counselor when you're having personal struggles. So thanks to BetterHelp, they are built on making counseling accessible, affordable, convenient, so that anyone who's having struggles in their life can actually get the help they need at any time and anywhere, which is so important, especially now. All the professionals are licensed, trained, experienced, and accredited. And what I love so much about them is that they have a diverse group of counselors with a broad and various amounts of different backgrounds to help all their different clients. If you need some help, try BetterHelp. You can get a 10% off discount from your first month when you go to betterhelp.com forward slash do it. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com forward slash D-O-I-T. The next question is, how and when did I know and discover my Enneagram type? What was my experience like? So I've shared this story before. I was at the young adult minister's house. We were having a Devo and I was kicking back, stuffing my face full of food. And um, all of a sudden he brings out the Wisdom of the Enneagram book. And I have my feet kicked up and he's reading out the two question test. I get my letters right on the first one, which is good for me. And he reads the first paragraph of the type seven. And I'm like, oh, yes. Talk about like, yes, I am this. That's right. Got that energy, got that fire, you know. And so I'm in there like, yeah, I'm eating. I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about myself. And then he started reading the second and third paragraph, which actually talks about the things that are um, not so good or the things that people don't see about me and my patterns. And I was blown away. I was trying to look normal while feeling exposed and called out by this book at the same time. And that's when it hooked me. That's when the Enneagram hooked me. Uh, it really brought me in because that is one thing about, I would say, sevens. When you can pin a seven and a seven can still feel the love and care, a seven's intrigued now. And now they, they, they want to be engaged with whatever that is. So for me, it pegged me, it pinned me down perfectly. And I was like, wow, I've got to learn more. And so that just sent me in a deep dive for Enneagram material, Enneagram, everything I could find on Enneagram at the time. So that's how like I discovered it was my type. And I came to the conclusion, I was like, oh, this is me. Like it wasn't, for me, it wasn't much of a, a hesitation after those words hit so hard for me. And even the things that I denied at the time, which I was like, nah, that's not like me. As I go through this growth process more and more, I mean, my own work, I'd be like, yeah, that's true. In this instance, I like I may do it in this way, but not in that way. And so I've just learned so much, but it hit me hardcore. And I was sitting down, it slowed the way I, way I was eating. It made me feel uncomfortable in my body. And that's when I knew it was real. <laughs> I was like, yeah, this seventh thing for me is real. So I think everyone definitely starts to have their story when things start to land, which I love to hear when, when it's, they really land in their type. Not just they, they think this is their type, but when they land in their type and the good and the ugly all come out together, you're like, oh, yeah, this is it. Um, because it's just, a, it's just a different feel for it. There's like, oh, I found my type. Like, I found my home base. But it's like, oh, my goodness, this is my home base. Oh, I got work to do. So it's that combination of stuff that you have to work on. Um, next question. What is a good way to suggest growth options for someone close to you? Ooh, this is a tricky one. Um, 
Because we cannot change people. We have to remember that. Um, we have to remember, I'll say it again, we cannot change people. And that becomes a part of when you love someone so bad, you just want them to change and improve. But what we have to realize a lot of times that it has flipped to actually supporting our ego and not them. And that's what becomes hard. So even for me and my mentees who I work with, it there were moments, especially during this pandemic, where I wanted to, I wanted to help them academically, you know, so bad so they could pass and things like that. And, you know, it started off, obviously, I want them to do well. I care about them. I love them. But after a while, I started getting frustrated because they wasn't following through on the things that, like, we were doing. They wasn't, like, calling and contacting like they should when it comes to the work, turning in stuff. They could have easily turned in that we did. And I found myself getting really frustrated with them, like, really frustrated, you know. And I had to take a step back, and I was like, so are you frustrated because— they're not doing the work and they won't be successful? Are you frustrated because your ego is saying that they need to be doing this if they're associated with you and this and that and that? And I realized my ego had got infused with it. And was I doing the best for them at that moment? Even though it may not have been like them being successful and academics and doing all they're supposed to do, we're going through a pandemic and their family lives is like, you know, it can be all over the place. And so what they may need at this moment is not necessarily being pushed academically. And clearly my approach is not working. So if I really do care and love this other person, then my approach needs to be unconditional loving so that I can help and figure out maybe what's going on and just be there for them. And so I had to really do that and wrestle with that. So here's one of the ways I would suggest If you would like to suggest or help someone along their growth path, one thing is model it. Something that we have a tendency not to do all the times is model what maybe what we would like to see or do it by example, like we would like to see in other people sometimes, especially people we love. So for instance, with my mentees, there may be a situation where I explain something or I say something in a way for instance, one of them's a two, and he may say something indirectly. And so I'll give an experience from my life, and I'll say something direct and help him to really see the difference. But then I'll also, the way I communicate with him, I will be more direct than even I normally am, just to model it for him, even though we've had the conversation. So whatever that is, maybe modeling it and actually kind of showing that, being like intentional about that. And then speaking their language, as I call it. Every type has their own language. Uh, Sometimes we try to reach people, and this is, people have been doing this since who knows when, but it's kind of like when people try to help the homeless and they don't ask the homeless what they need, they don't understand them, and they're just going to say, hey, this can help you, when you haven't even asked them what they need first or even work with them. So that is one thing is to, to speak their language. So depending what type there are, there are certain words, phrases, things that you do and say that impact them deeply, some things that they resonate deeply with and some things they don't. And so if you're able to help speak their language, that can create a connection and possibly get them to look at, you know, growth options or different things that they could do to actually grow in these areas. Depending how direct it is, sometimes you can give feedback. There's a formula for feedback, but just to give a quick example, you could talk about the impact of whatever that behavior or thing is, the actually what it is, the impact that it has on you, them, and other people around, and what you would prefer or like to see, you know, if possible. So that's another option, depending on what type of growth this person is needing, you know, 
there's there's a, a gambit of intervention all the way into like <laughs> these different components. So those are those are some ways to do it because it, it can be tricky. There's not like a easy cookie cutter model. But just like before as well, on other episode, I talked about asking questions. Or maybe this one, I, I talked about just asking questions to get people to really start the process and think about things and then be able to model what you're talking about. Be able to do what you need to do to do that could really be beneficial. You know, even asking the question, you know, is there something I can do to help, you know, with this situation? If it is in that, don't overextend, nothing like that. But those are some possible suggestions on if someone close to you, you you would love to see them grow and do their own inner work. Some ways to possibly do that. Be persistent and loving in the way that you talk about things. Like I said, model it, speak their language, and sometimes the direct approach is best. So those are some ways to actually do it. Um, and then seeing maybe what they need to be able to do that. Because there's something usually stopping them. Maybe they need more information. You know, maybe they need to process it by themselves. Maybe it's just not this moment in time that they're able to do it. And so it's different things going on there. But those are some short, easy ways to try to do, uh, to try to address helping others to grow, right? You be you be the example of inner work for them. It changes things because you change. And when they see those changes and you become more positive, it, it's something about when people, when you're doing your work and you're vibrating at a level that is so high because of the work that you do. And yes, I said vibrating, their energy level, the way that you operate, the way that you embody, empathize, compassion, and connect. It changes people around you like it does. It's just a part of how it happens. So continue to do your inner work and make sure your inner work is paramount most definitely because that'll help the most. And then there's another question, how to gauge levels of health? This is an interesting one, and I don't know if I can answer this one succinctly because there are different models for health. So Russ Hudson and Don Rizzo, they have a model for health, and so they have levels one through, let's say one through seven, but they have one that is a little bit more. So they, they have these levels of health, and I think they have some merit to them. But there's different ways of suggesting levels of health, looking at different types. So one thing I would possibly look at is how willing they are to actually improve and grow. Like, are they willing to do something? That's the difference. Something different. Are they willing to do the work? That right there lets you know and what state that they may be in, right? Their willingness to change. Is it just a thought? Or is it just a um, like, that would be nice to do, but they're not doing anything to it. But it was their real eagerness to like, something's got to change. Something has to change. And so trying to figure out, you know, is it is it one of those helps to understand even where a person is at? Because when a person is open to change and open to doing things or thinking or doing something different, trying something different, that is generally a place where they are seeking and becoming a little bit healthier, I guess. Um, we don't want to get stuck too much in labels because it's interesting. You can be stuck, you can be healthy in one area of your life and very unhealthy in another, right? So when looking at that, there is ways of seeking health, but are they doing things that are beneficial for 
themselves? Are you doing things beneficial for yourself? And are you continuously uncovering new things about yourself? Are you becoming more aware of the things that you do? And I'm talking about to the finite or very small details of the things that you do. Not just the big things, but the small things, because as you're growing, you'll start to find like some of the smallest things you do are some of the most incredible things that you find out about yourself. So, for example, just how much fear resonates deeply within my life in so many different areas. And I've created these wonderful narratives around, you know, why I don't do or I do this and blah, 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 when majority of it comes down to some form of fear and something that I found spectacular. And it's so small. It's so small. I've grown up with like pretty much a fear of, of wasp. Um, and I'm not talking about just a fear of being stung, but a fear of wasp. Um, them being around, watching for them, not, not wanting to be outside if there are some, if I saw one or two and different things like that. And so literally being able to understand what's happening in my body when it happens now and being able to see a wasp now and just walk past them or then walk past me understanding that, hmm, or fly past me, not walk past me. <laughs> That'd be a little strange. But, um, but understanding that the fear inside of me is maybe what's causing a lot of the reaction. Not that they cannot sting me, not that they cannot do that, but my fear for something that has not happened is controlling me and I'm having a reaction in my body that um, that is causing me to act in ways that are not, I would say, are not completely healthy and, and are not um, connected directly to reality of the situation. You know, and this can happen in a lot of situations. You think about it on a grander scheme of fear of certain people, groups, fear of black people, you know, like they've created something in their minds that's not actually happening or true, you know, in that situation. And now they're reacting to it. And so just noticing the smallest little things uh, in your growth can help you to know like where you are. So necessarily there being a specific level, you know, that can help us in one uh, way to make sure that we're looking at, okay, is this a, a area that's helpful? So the the wisdom of the Enneagram does have levels of health. So that is that is a one way to try to gauge that. But are you doing things that are like kind of deconstructing your type structure so that you're not held within it all the time? And are you discovering ways that your type structure slips in and then you're like, ooh, I'm going to have to do things to kind of work on unpacking that, why, and figuring out. And I think that's a, a huge way to actually determine or gauge how healthy you may be in your type structure or not, right, or getting to your essence. Um, instead of looking at it purely as like levels, um, but really looking at, hmm, you know, am I doing the things that are beneficial for me and my own personal growth? Or am I stuck in a habitual patterns that I am seem to can't get out of? Or am I stuck in a rut? Or am I doing things that are harmful to me or detrimental to me or the people around me? So if you're doing those things, I would say that's probably on the more unhealthy side. But looking at your patterns and really, really being honest with yourself on the work that you have to do on the inside. Are you just being really, really honest with yourself? So even if you are repeating a pattern, you're like, hey. That's my seven showing up. It's acting a fool right now. I see you. I see you. And I'm going to have to work on you. But right now, I see you doing your thing too. So just really, really being in tune with what's happening in your body, your heart, and your head, uh, I think will allow you to really gauge how healthy you are in, in any different situation because we can go through the whole gamut of being unhealthy and healthy in one day easily, right? So are you operating 
at a level that's more healthy where you are beneficial to yourself and society and others around you in a way that honors you and honors others, then you're, you're, you're pretty healthy. You're doing your work. But if there comes these moments where things are really not serving you that you do, like, and they can be a range of different things that aren't serving you, then it may be time to check in because it could be some unhealthy things under the hood operating for too long and too consistently, I would say. Um, and then the last but, least, um, last but not least question is, any advice for someone who wanted to build a career around the Enneagram and or what the Enneagram journey has looked like for me? So real quick, any advice? So one advice, things I would say is figure out where you want to go and what you want to do with the Enneagram if you want to use it in becoming my Enneagram professional. How do you want to use it? Because there's different schools and different teachers who teach based on those specific areas. And then I would say, really do your own inner work, because that is where the secret sauce, the magic, whatever you want to call it, really lies, is your own personal inner work, because that unlocks a whole lot of other things for you to start to learn about other types, other people, embodying what that really means uh, to understand different type structures and people. And so I would say that would be the first piece of advice. Just figure out how you actually want to use the Enneagram in the world because it's so exciting, you know, different people, different things. But where specifically do you find that your gifts, your traits, your skills, your Enneagram type lend into you being able to provide um, love, connection, care, um, and integrity in bringing the Enneagram to folks? So look at it like that, I would say. And then how has my Enneagram looked like professionally? I can't say too much about that because that could go on forever, but it's been really interesting. I What I love about it is that usually when I work with an organization, you know, the Enneagram, it's usually a part of it. It comes in as like, oh, this is a personality. This is what it comes in as a personality test here to help people understand themselves a little better. And we can move from that. But when we actually do the presentations or the facilitations, it becomes the star of the show because people are like, oh, my goodness, this thing sees me. I understand these things. Oh, my goodness. Maybe I understand them while they do what they do. And so empathy and compassion is increased and just curiosity is increased. And that's one of the best things that can happen. Whenever curiosity, empathy and compassion can be increased, then something amazing is about to happen in that space or in that person because that's where true growth lies is to be able to be there because we get stuck in a destination of like, oh, I know myself. Oh, I know them. Oh, I know this situation. I know it's going to. And when we get there, we are, have no space and no room to really grow, develop, explore, discover, expand. We miss all of that when we get to that point. So the Enneagram helps to do that when I work with people professionally. So it's really amazing when I'm able to do that. And I absolutely love that when I walk into or do virtual <laughs> presentations for people. I absolutely love that. It's incredible. So my journey professionally, it has been, I would say, quite interesting. And I've found some of the most incredible people in the Enneagram space the more I do this work professionally because you just find people who are really trying to do the, not only do their own inner work, but trying to make the world better. Like, really, and not only just make the world better from not from their ego standpoint, but from a place that is loving, inclusive and, you know, of everyone, you know, even when things are a little crazy and we may disagree, it's still let me question, let me think, let me include like all these things are still happening. So I found it to be um, 
<laughs> Absolutely amazing, to be honest. Uh, once you get past the first threshold of people being either scared to engage the Enneagram, and people can, you know, they use a lot of different things to, but it's actually fear. Like, I don't want nobody to box me in. I don't want I don't know about that and all this type of things. There's a bunch of things people use, to, but it's actually fear of being seen for who they really are, discovering, going deeper for who they are. But when you get past that threshold and a little bit past people's pride, it becomes, I don't know, magnificent for me. I know that. So professionally, uh, it has been great. So to communicate it to people is a little hard at the beginning. But once you break past that, it, it's wonderful because the conversations just get so deep and rich around people's, you know, type and how it interacts with the way that we live and operate this world. So that is something I found uh, incredible. But the beginning with navigating the Enneagram journey professionally can be tricky, you know, because people are like, what's the what? The Ennea who? The what? How do you spell that? What is that? Can I Google that? Yes, you can. Um so yeah, that that's that's a big part of it, I would say, in a short little tidbit. So that's all I have for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Once again, the IEA Conference, the IEA International Enneagram Association Global Conference is here. July 16th through the 18th. Sign up. I want to see you there. I want you to be there. Uh, there's going to be so many amazing teachers. There's people taking the Enneagram in spaces and places I would never thought that people could take the Enneagram. And they're doing wonderful jobs with it. Many of the teachers that I have learned from are going to be there speaking. I'm going to be speaking at the Discovery Track. I'm going to be on two different panels. I'm also going to be at a table with the IEA board at a specific time. So if you want to come back, talk to me, chat, ask questions, I would gladly be able to do that during... Um, that time, especially when I'm at the, the IEA's table. The platform is amazing, which is which is going to be on. And so just sign up. If you sign up for the Discovery Track only, Discovery 4 is going to be the code you can use to get a discount. But also, along with that, just looking at going to the major in the big conference. It's just so many resources that you're going to have when you go there. Just, just spectacular. It's going to blow your mind, your body, and your heart. So I uh, definitely encourage you to go to that. Also, the Kaizen Complete Enneagram program is coming up, and I'm looking to seal the amount of people I have in there, got some spots open, and I would absolutely love, if you're interested, reach out to me via email at milton at kaizencareers.com, or you can go to kaizencareers.com, uh, find the link and sign up. For the course, it's a 12-week course that meets on Thursdays. It starts in August, and we learn the Enneagram in community, and there's plenty of resources, um, plenty of fun, but there's some deep inner work that we do on ourselves and with others. And so it'll stretch you. Check out the episodes with people who've been in the program already prior to this one. And I want to see you there. So have a wonderful day and I will see you very soon on our next episode. So take a deep breath. If you feel some resistance or something crazy is about to happen with your type structure, Breathe, make a better choice, and do it for the gram. The Enneagram, of course. I'll see you soon. Bye. Do it for the gram podcast editing and mixing is done by Saw and Sign. Information will be in the show notes.